the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Yes, he is, and he's here to say hello. Welcome to this Thursday edition of Lifeline for the 23rd of August. Trust you're having a great day and a great week so far. We're going to try to keep you company as uh, you head home or wherever you might be headed on this Thursday evening. We've got Michael Bennett tonight in the KFAX Traffic Center, so he'll keep you on top of what's going on on the road ahead. And we've got um, Joyce Cordy joining us a little bit later on in the program. Uh, we're going to have to talk about it, and eventually we got to do it. We've got to talk about a lot of the news going on out of Washington, D.C. You've heard, of course, now the indictments handed down against the president's former attorney, um, certainly against the former, former campaign manager. What does all this mean? Um, and it, does some of this sort of begin to take on the, the, the flavor of, you know, chum in the water, and they're beginning, the sharks are beginning to circle? The president today, in an interview broadcast on Fox News, even addressed what might happen were he impeached. Wow. I mean, from the inauguration, and we're barely even two years in, we're already talking impeachment? What's going on here? We'll get some perspective on all of this. This radio talk show host, Joyce Cordy, joins us later on in tonight's program. Right now, though, as uh, no doubt your student, if you have children at home, back to school. If not, we'll be very shortly. And once again, as always, we have to be vigilant when it comes to children that attend government schools, public schools, because oftentimes not only are many of the aspects of curricula contrarian to the values that many Christian families teach at home, children taught in church, and so forth. Um, But also this notion, and we've been sort of battling this since the early 1960s in relationship to removing both Bible reading and prayer from the public classroom. Madeline Murray O'Hare, if you remember the case, I sweet irony in God's economy and his sense of humor that the child in that case later on not only became a Christian, but has had a very successful evangelistic ministry, which I'm sure has um, his now dead mother, Madeline Murray O'Hare, spinning in her grave to know that her son, William Murray, is a, <laughs> a follower of Jesus, the very Jesus that she persecuted for so many years. It's not unusual for us to hear reports of children who come back from um, class and say, well, they wanted us to write a paper on who my biggest hero is, and when I said Jesus, they told me, no, that couldn't be done. Or they asked me to sing a song at the annual, we don't call it Christmas celebration, I guess it would be um, the the winter celebration, we can be politically correct, and when I wanted to sing uh, a hymn of old in relationship to the Christmas season, I was told no. Well, just such a similar case has now happened south of us in Riverside, California, regarding 
religious discrimination at a charter school. We get an update from constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus. Counselor, it's always great to have you with us. As I allude to, I know that these cases are not rare, that in fact we've seen these battles, this uh, straw man set up under the guise of so-called separation of church and state. The language, by the way, uh, just for the record, as you know, appears absolutely nowhere in the United States Constitution. It is a gross misapplication of the Establishment Clause. But that said, what what of this situation here where suddenly we're, we're trying to so sanitize the public arena that we won't even allow a teacher who happens to teach children music, some of which may or may not be of a religious nature, that that person is not allowed to be teaching in a public charter school because of fear over violation of separation of church and state. What's going on? Yeah, uh, Craig, uh, this is dealing with a a teacher who has a lot of experience in uh, music and as a music instructor, and and yet uh, and, and parents were excited about having her come aboard a part of the charter school. One of the teachers there actually recruited her to come become a part of it. And she uh, put together a, uh, a whole uh, music program uh, where the kids would learn different, uh, different songs, jazz, blues, um, classical, and also some, some gospel classics like Amazing Grace. So, uh, so she had it all together, and they said, well, yeah, you can't have those those uh, gospel classics, uh, it, you, know, you can have the other music, all the other music's fine, you can't have that. And by the way, uh, in these, these, these uh, folders you have, uh, these, this music program, you need to cover up or tear out the sheets of paper that have those classic hymns on so the children aren't even exposed to seeing them and made aware of them. And she started asking some questions. You know, it's like, well, well, why is this? I mean, you know, this is, you know, and she asked some questions, and, um, and then she got a notice that... Uh, that uh, they're not going to allow her to, to teach there or be a part of their program with the, at the charter school. And then she contacted Pacific Justice Institute, and uh, we're, we're now representing her. You know, the interesting thing is some of these old spirituals have been around for so long and have been used in the in the uh, the general secular arena for so long that I would suspect there will be those who could probably hum the tune to Amazing Grace, and yet know little, if anything, about the lyric. And now all of a sudden, we are concerned that, what, a child might hear a lyric and, what, bust out in some kind of a religious experience right there in the public classroom and and, 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 and cause a, a real flutter? I mean, the, the disconnect from the cause and effect here just seems to be outlandish. Well, it really is, and in fact, uh, in, out here on, in the West Coast, has established case law where one judge said uh, very sternly in his decision that uh, that uh, you know roughly forty percent. This is back in the eighties, I think, but he said roughly forty percent of America's historic music heritage um, is religious in nature. He says so to to have that uh, mandated to not be a part of any part of public education is a real disservice to uh, a real complete musical program for children and students. So there's, the courts have addressed the issue. Uh, we just have a school district that's just very uh, zealous to, uh, you know, to, to, I don't know, carry out that, that agenda. But uh, it's, it's unconstitutional for a school district to, uh, to, to engage in such kind of overt censorship. It shows state hostility religion. And it's also uh, an act of discrimina- discrimination against this teacher because of their 
uh, their background, her Facebook, uh, where she uh, mentions her faith, things like that that were brought in that is totally, totally um, inappropriate for a, a public school to engage in. This is not, you know, uh, censorship and purging. Uh, I mean, it's not allowed in in, um, in the United States of America for people just because of their their faith and faith background, but that's what we see taking place. And, and the utter disconnect from reality here. She's a piano teacher. Right. What are we supposed to do? Restrict piano teachers and saying, well, now, when you're working in the public arena, you may not instruct children on any of the compositions of, I don't know, let's go down the list, Handel, Grieg, Bach, Beethoven, Mozart, I could go on and on, that have all at one point or another in their careers penned religious music. Uh, I mean, Handel, Messiah, my goodness, probably one of the most popular classical pieces during the Christmas season that any of us could think of, Christian or non-Christian, off the top of our heads, and yet we're somehow suggesting that even exposing a child to such things as religious classical music might somehow warp and destroy their tiny, fragile, sensitive minds, and therefore we need to protect them from all of this. But I suspect if tomorrow somebody wanted to come in and, and uh, treat the kids to uh, you know some music during their exercise class of uh, KISS or uh, you know any other uh, Metallica, I mean, you name it, they would have no problem with that at all. Right, right. And that's what's so... so uh unreasonable about this, but it's not only unreasonable, people have realized uh, it's also uh, illegal uh, for them to engage in this and unconstitutional, and that's what we're going to hit on really hard in this in this case, and we at Pacific Justice are representing this, this uh, teacher without charge as, as usual. You have approached the district and said, look guys, we have a problem here, and here's what uh, a little higher authority than you have to say about it, the U.S. Constitution, uh, without disclosing information regarding an active case. W- w- what was the response? Uh, their response uh, was uh, to, uh, you know, uh, to dig their feet in the, in, uh, in the sand, deep, deep in the sand, and say, we're not going to uh, we're not going to budge. This is our position, and that's what led us to have to to take the the legal action that we've taken, and we're uh, and we're going to uh, be representing her um, as as far and as long as we need to. So they doubled I mean, down, and I bet they didn't see that one coming. No, and it, that's the problem. Is you know we have Pacific Justice too. We have a really high track record of success when we have to file a, a lawsuit. We don't. We never threaten with without the, the law behind us. And um, unfortunately, this the school district made the wrong decision, and um, we're hopeful in the end that we will see justice and uh, hopefully a loud signal to school districts across, across America that uh, they cannot engage in this kind of sterilization of evidences of, of uh, faith in our heritage and history, including music, history and, in public schools. And it's sad that this needs to come up and needs to be taught to districts over and over and over again. But thank God that there are organizations like Pacific Justice Institute that God has raised up to do exactly this, to stand up for the constitutional God-given rights of citizens just like you or I, or in this case, this uh, celebrated music teacher. Working down there for more than 25 years, she is apparently, from all reports, uh, very much loved by all of her students. And yet, uh, after having been hired and, and accepted for a position in teaching music, at this uh, um, small charter school, uh, Sky Mountain Charter School, uh, then suddenly told, oh, no, you mean you teach religious music, too? Oh, we can't have that. I mean, you know, kids get exposed to religious music. 
Think about what could happen for a moment. I mean, they could start praying. They might, they might read a book. These kids might obey their parents, abstain from premarital sex, and then what, what would things to lead to? Not drinking? Honoring God? I mean, this, gets da- this is a dangerous slippery slope here, I'm telling you. <laughs> Jarrell is shaking his head, yeah. Welcome to the world in which we live, 2018. Don't know, but I'm sure glad that Brad Dacus and Pacific Justice Institute are there to help. More information available online, pji.org. That's pji.org. And our thanks to constitutional lawyer, the founder and president of the Pacific Justice Institute, Brad Dacus, for that update. And be praying for them um, and this case as it makes its way through the court system. Just amazing. All right. 516. Let's get you a little look at traffic here, shall we? See if that looks any better. Find out what's going on as we say good afternoon to Michael Bennett. Michael, what's up? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right. Welcome back to the conversation. We turn a corner now into an arena that, uh, you know, it's not pleasant conversation. Um, And yet topics that I think bear discussion because it affects all of us. And we've seen the huge news cycle over the last 48 hours pertaining to the indictments handed down, uh, first against former Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort, and then, of course, against his former attorney, uh, Peter Cohen. What all of this means long term? Well, the president today um, sat down for an interview and spent some time with the folks over at Fox News uh, discussing his take on a lot of what has transpired here and uh, no doubt a look into where we might be headed in the future. It is the first time that we've heard some serious talk, at least from the president's perspective, even answering the question, well, what of potential impeachment? Have things really risen to that level? Well, with some insights, we're joined by Joyce Cordy. Uh, Joyce is the founder and president of Reimagine America. She, of course, hosts a program by the same title each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m., The Answer. And you can get more information about her work online at reimagineamerica.org. Joyce joins us by phone. And I guess, Joyce, I have to make you promise to do one thing for me, and that is promise not to skip out mid-interview the way I did you last week. Just for the benefit of listeners, I, I was we were recording an interview uh, last week for Joyce's program when uh, there was a big uh, tex- technical whoops that required some of my attention. And so I, I literally had to abandon her mid-program. And again, my, my apologies to you on that, Joyce. We try not to make that happen at least more than once a year. All right, let's get down to cases here, shall we? Um, one of the things first that we're hearing, and uh, this comment is coming from South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham, saying that he would anticipate that President Trump is going to fire Attorney General Jeff Sessions, quote, sooner than later. Now, we know that there has been long talk from the president, his sense that part of, if not all of, the hubbub concerning the Russian probe is due in part to Jeff Sessions recusing himself from any of this. And so where the connection is, though, to think somehow that if Sessions were in charge of all of this and hadn't recused himself, that this investigation wouldn't be taking place, I'm not really clear on. But what do you think? Just how likely is the president to fire the attorney general? Oh, well, I think Lindsey bought some time on the 19, in the 19th hole 
um, because his uh, his prediction was that um, sessions would survive at least through the midterms. Now, you have to remember that uh, Sessions is very popular among Republican senators. He's a longtime member of the club. And then comes the second question that President Trump would have to answer, which is, who is he going to nominate? Because you see, the moment that he fires Sessions, do you know who the next attorney, acting attorney general will be? Rob Rosenstein. Well, yes, and and certainly Mr. Rosenstein has not had the 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 most cozy of relationships with the president. In fact, a couple of weeks ago, many of us anticipated that he would be disappearing from the White House's payroll. Um, he's not on the White House's payroll. He's on the Department uh, of Department Justice. of Justice, rather. Correct. Um, but uh, I cannot imagine. I cannot imagine a circumstance in which the people around the president, and and I'm sure Lindsey Graham would be one of those people who would be screaming from the top of the ra- of the rafters that if he tried to fire Sessions and then fire Rosenstein as the acting attorney general, that that would bring Congress down upon his head. Um, they, the popular support for the Mueller investigation remains at pretty close to 60% of, of um, those polled. So, you know, there is interest in the country in getting to the bottom of this. And the actions of both a jury in um, Virginia and the uh, Trump-appointed uh, U.S. attorney for the Southern District of New York Simultaneously, I mean, the jury was walking in and Cohn was pleading guilty. And both of them pleaded, and in both cases, it involves uh, tax evasion and banking records, etc. And, you know, um, there is, loyalty is a two-way street. And so um, Michael Cohn is now pretty free to do or say whatever he wants. So the artificial barriers that are placed on the Department of Justice by their own regulations that they not publish a report after Labor Day um, don't preclude them from doing their work. So I think that three things will will come to pass. One, we have to see uh, what happens between now and September 7th in terms of uh, Mueller and the possibility that Stone is Roger Stone gets indicted. Then comes what does Cohn really know? Um, and because he certainly says he's willing to spill, to sing like a like like the proverbial songbird at this point, or should we say jailbird? Uh, and last but not least, um, the dangling of a pardon in front of. Um, in front of Paul Manafort still, you know, I mean, Giuliani was on today saying, oh, you know, it's not the right time to pardon Manafort. Is a, hold on, that's a mob way of saying, you know, hold on and and we're going to take care of you. You just got to stick it out a little longer. Well, after Manafort goes down a second time, 
what will come out in November? What will happen the day after Election Day that might preclude the president from being able to fire Sessions without bringing Congress down upon his head? Well, and another issue that could also bring a lot down upon his head, and that is even this talk of potentially um, pardoning Paul Manafort. Now, to be sure, Mr. Manafort is in a heap of trouble. Uh, to be clear, little of it has to do with any sort of Russian collusion. I mean, this is one of those uh, we entered into the House because we had a subpoena uh, related to the p- potential presence of drugs. And while we were there, we found a dead body. Uh, so, you know, there, there's not a direct correlation. And yet, with the situation that now faces Paul Manafort, uh, there's a problem here. The last president to pardon somebody that he was close to in which there was a, a, a tight, controversial relationship was that of Gerald Ford pardoning Richard Nixon. And under, that's under something that certainly has, has sort of been a cloud over the Ford presidency uh, for all of these years since. I mean, here we are 40 years uh, later, and we're still talking about it. For Donald Trump to pardon Manafort or Cohen given the nature of the relationship here, doesn't that get awfully close to home? Doesn't that bring a level of scrutiny down around the president that he doesn't want? Oh, I think so. I I thought when I read Giuliani's comment this morning about we've advised the president this is not the right time to issue a pardon for Manafort, and he understands that, is just at the line of obstruction of justice, followed by his comment about there ought to be a law against flipping. Um, But remember, too, Craig, that the situation with Ford and Nixon and Ford's explanation was he wanted to end the nation's long nightmare. So this was a man who thought the best interest of the United States would be served by not prolonging the Nixon story. That's quite different than Paul Manafort. Paul Manafort, while we are while we're speculating about what really is going on, remember Paul Paul Manafort is up to his eyeballs in relationships with those oligarchs. Uh, or the the um guy inside the Department of Justice who's now in trouble with with um, Trump because he thinks he has something to do with Steele, with the Steele dossier, um, or was working with the FBI following down one of these oligarchs who has business interests in the United States. And so we, and, and Manafort, Manafort was sitting in that room with those Russian representatives at Trump Tower and whatever I didn't know it was wrong to to meet with people representing a foreign government that Don Jr. might be able to, to use as a defense Manafort knew what was happening in that room was patently against United States law and, and so um that has to be the holy grail from for Mueller, and not only a direct interest in terms of himself, given uh, the 
previous financial arrangements between the Russian oligarch from the Ukraine and having been on his payroll and yet no longer, uh, but, but also sort of, you know, double jeopardy here in the sense that it was also a direct uh, uh, conflict of interest in relationship to uh, him being there as a representative of the then candidate, now president. So it, it, it adds layers of complexity here, which suggests to me that any notion of the president being able to hand down a pardon here just seems to be extremely complex. And and, and I, I give mental assent to your observation regarding the excuse, the explanation, rather, given by Gerald Ford as to why he pardoned President Richard Nixon, because he wanted to end the nation's suffering. Did it have that effect? No. If anything, it began many years of speculation and distrust of Gerald Ford as a result. So, you know, a, a de- double-edged sword, as they say, cuts in both directions. And the president is going to need to negotiate these waters very, very carefully, particularly since, as I suggested in my opening remarks tonight, they've been throwing chum in the water, and the sharks are hungry, and they are biting, and they are looking for blood. We'll take a brief time out. We're going to come back to more of our conversation as we sort of a dice sect the news of the last 48 hours in relationship to the indictments handed down against former Trump campaign head Paul Manafort, also the president's former attorney. And boy, if you think that there's any sort of attorney-client privilege and you can trust that anything you say to your lawyer will be protected, <laughs> Um, I have a suspicion that maybe we're going to find out that that works well in theory, but not always in practice. Our conversation with Radio talk show host Joyce Cordy, host of Reimagine America. More information, by the way, about Joyce's work and her program online at reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org, her program of the same title, Reimagine America, heard Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m., The Answer. We take a brief time out, get you updated on traffic as we do so. Once again, we say hello and thank you to Michael Bennett. Michael, what's going on out there? All yours. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, let's get you up to speed. The president doesn't often make references to this, but he did so in an exclusive Fox News interview today, weighing in on the subject of impeachment. Lisa Carter has more details. In an interview that aired on Fox News Thursday morning, President Trump warned he doesn't think his impeachment would be good for the country. I'll tell you what, if I ever got impeached, I think the market would crash. I think everybody would be very poor. Because without this thinking, uh, you would see you would see numbers that you wouldn't believe in reverse. The president said he doesn't know how you could impeach somebody who's done a great job. There's been some talk among Democrats about impeachment after the president's former attorney, Michael Cohen, pleaded guilty to eight felonies this week. In doing so, Cohen implied that Trump directed him to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars in hush money to two women in an attempt to influence the 2016 election. Lisa Carter, NBC News Radio. We are probably very, very premature to be having that discussion about impeachment, although I I got a kick out of the president's response that uh, we would all be very, very poor (laughs) if were that to happen. Um, Of course, we've had a president impeached, though not removed from office, and that was Bill Clinton a number of years ago. Any of this in your mind, Joyce Cordy, as we bring you back into the conversation, any of this in your mind at this juncture, based on what we know, really rise to the occasion of high crimes and misdemeanors? Uh, no. Um, while while we, we await 
further word. You know, you, you know the old thing about birds of a feather flock together? Indeed. Um, and you got these two guys who went down on multi, multi-million dollar tax charges. And you know what else is unique about Donald Trump? We've never seen his taxes. So um, we don't know. We don't know what we don't know. But based on what we know today, talking about impeachment is just not smart. It's not smart on anybody's part. Number one, nobody has ever gone to jail for FEC violations, Federal Election Commission. As a matter of fact, we're talking about about a, a $280,000 here in, in um, contributions that violate FEC rules, guidelines, and laws. And, and based and, on a billion-dollar campaign that we're talking about literally pocket change. Well, not only that, but, you know, in two runs for the presidency, Obama's uh, campaign committee paid $357,000 in fines to the FEC for violations. Everybody does Yeah, I, th- I think in, in that particular campaign, there was something like 1,800 contributions that either weren't reported in a timely fashion or exceeded the legal limits, and I think Trump himself had about 1,200. I don't know that there's been any campaign when you talk about the number of people both volunteering and contributing and contributions coming in from all over the country that anybody doesn't make a mistake and there isn't some sort of um, you know m- minor inconsequential Consequential fine handed down uh, by the Federal Election Commission simply because somebody didn't cross an I or dot a T. You know what I'm more troubled about when it comes to uh, what uh, what uh, Cohen pled to and what he did is that you know the president, ha- after seven different tries at it, has finally owned up to the fact that he well we, we heard the tape he knew about the McDougal thing. Um, in advance, but and we now know that um, that his friend at the National Enquirer has given has been given immunity. So that test, so the elocution by Cohn has been corroborated by federal prosecutors. But what really blows my mind is that this misogynist, this man who has such a history of poor conduct with women. How come the whole Me to uh, one one episode and you're expelled from society? Why doesn't that apply to Donald Trump? Well, uh, probably for the same reasons that it didn't apply to Bill Clinton, though certainly the environment today is vastly different from what it was 20 years ago. Uh, I, I suspect that there is, you know, dependent upon who we're talking about and what they're running for, oftentimes there's a, a amazing leeway or grace that's handed out. I, I've got a question, though, that relates to this issue of not just Cohen and information regarding this $130,000 payoff going public. But, you know, um, Cohen potentially asking for immunity. And we heard the president today in his Fox TV interview uh, make references to the kind of character that he thinks now his his ex-attorney is. In all fairness to him, most people are going to do that. And I've seen it many times. I've had many friends involved in this stuff. It's called flipping and it almost ought to be illegal. 
So he says that Cohen essentially flipped on him. Now, we used to understand historically, Joyce Cordy, that a wife can't testify against her husband, and there's supposed to be uh, this attorney-client privilege situation, and yet here you have a case of the attorney and the client, in this case the client being the President of the United States and the attorney being um, Peter Cohen, uh, potentially sharing information. Is there no protection of attorney-client privilege here that the President can stand behind, can... can, can Cohen, if granted immunity, just sing like a bird? Uh, One, he wasn't granted immunity. He pled guilty to eight felonies that are worth, you know, a a few years as a neighbor to Bernie Maddow. Right. Um, But but, um, there there is a difference between being a fixer who, as an attorney, writes a contract. Okay? That's not governed by attorney-client privilege. And in this case, all of the millions of pieces of paper and all the stuff that they collected from Cone was was gone through by uh, both the Trump Corporation and by a special master, and they found seven thousand pieces out of a million plus to be a client attorney client privilege. So, you know, the rest of it is um, is ordinary business. So. All right, and, uh, and that certainly weighs so it. That, no that, that that certainly weighs in positive on the, the the that side of the ledger for the president. But there's another issue here. Uh, again, Cohen being asked what he knew about Trump's nonprofit foundation. Uh, Mark Mayfield, reporter, had this to share. Give a listen to this. People would say, "Oh, but you appointed Jeff Sessions." I said, "I did." But I really feel as long as this is going out, I don't have to do this, but I will stay uninvolved and maybe that's the best thing to do. Yeah, and Craig, that was the wrong piece of audio. We'll try that once again with feeling. Investigators in New York served Cohen a subpoena about the Trump Foundation. It came just a day after Cohen pleaded guilty to eight counts of tax evasion, bank fraud and campaign finance violations. New York's attorney general accuses Trump and his family of using money from the Trump Foundation for their personal benefit. Mark Mayfield, NBC News Radio. Now, of course, what's laughable about that is that uh, there's long been this rumor that the Clinton Foundation used foundation money to pay for daughter Chelsea's wedding. Uh, There have been accusations of that sort that go back years, and yet, to my knowledge, not a single serious investigation has been undertaken. Nobody has ever been called in before a judge to give an answer for any of this. So there's a degree to which it feels as if we're sort of on this, uh, and the president uses the term witch hunt. I, I don't know that that's altogether appropriate, but there does seem to be this, we're going to look everywhere that we can, and if we find anything that we, if, if, if there is a suggestion that perhaps the president, when he was in high school, uh, you know, stole a five-cent piece of bubble gum from the local grocer, we want to know about it. Do, do you get that sense? I mean, this seems to be going off into a lot of rabbit trails, or am I wrong? I, I, I'm actually... Um, uh I, I don't think you're wrong. Uh, Christopher Ray has acknowledged that the FBI is investigating the Clinton Foundation. So it may be they get them both. And I certainly think, at, after we've seen these two sets of multi-year evasion of big dollar taxes while they threaten you and me with you know within an inch of our life if, if we you know make a 25 cent error i think the irs has got a 
lot of explaining to do here as well. But I think I think once you're in the uh, in New York from you know from time immemorial uh, since 1980 when he and his dad when Trump and his father got involved in a dispute over whether they were um, not complying with the fair housing laws, there has been a contentious relationship between the state of New York and the Trump company. So I think this very aggressive woman who is now the acting attorney general of New York is, is you know, I don't know if she's running for the permanent job or not, but she's got um, a bone to pick, and she has shared some of this stuff with the with the IRS. But I do believe that the Clintons, as as best you can find out, and it was a, a subject of the Strzok interrogation as well. There is an FBI investigation into the Clintons as well. Now you're right; it's moving at a snail's pace, um, and 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 it's. But I believe that if there is wrongdoing, they're going to find on on the part of Trump that it will force it will force a a more public examination of the Clinton um, records as well. I think that will come out of the press. I think that people like you and me are going to be screaming for that kind of um, of fair play. Does that make sense? Well, it absolutely does. And I think that certainly, you know, the old adage, not just turn around is fair play, but, you know, you're you're using your former position as the leader of the country to obtain contributions to your foundation that under other sets of circumstances when you were still president would have been highly illegal and considered influence peddling. And yet then, once you have left the presidency, you engage in all of this, and yet there's not really two degrees of separation. In the case of the Clintons, what was problematic was she was a senator, and then she was secretary of state, and then she ran for president of the United States, and foreign countries are making contributions to her family's foundation. And we're not supposed to say, hey, wait a minute. I think it's high time that the Congress of the United States say, look, if you're going to hold federal office, you have to decide which it's going to be. You're either going to serve the people or you're going to serve your foundation. You don't get to do both. You don't get to be president of the United States, leave office, and then rack up billions of dollars um, in contributions and speaking fees and then have the ability to essentially peddle influence as a uh, return favor and go about your business with compute, uh, I- I- impunity. It doesn't work that way, or at least it shouldn't. Let's take a time out. We'll come back with some closing thoughts. Joyce Cordy is with us today. You can catch Joyce's program every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m., The Answer. Always compelling insights and conversation related to the news of the day from a uniquely female conservative perspective. And um, Joyce has always got some good thoughts, so you can check her out online at reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. This time out, back with more right after this. All right, once again, got the latest with Michael Bennett. Michael? 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. Craig Roberts along with Joyce Cordy, her program, Reimagine America, again Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. on her sister station, 860 a.m., the answer and lots of information available as well as uh, Joyce's blog, list of previous guests, as well as her podcasts available online at reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. Uh, one thing, of course, the president keeps calling for is get this thing over with. And I know that certainly has been um, echoed by um, many members of Congress, many Republicans across the country say, you know, this this investigation by Robert Mueller just keeps dragging on and on and on again. And then I have to wonder, though, how, how do we strike that balance between uh, not engaging in a witch hunt, as the president has suggested, and yet not having a rush to judgment? And it seems, at least in terms of, you know, 12 or 14 indictments handed down against Russians, now an indictment against Manafort, an indictment against Cohen. Um, do we get the sense that this is this is coming anywhere near its conclusion from your perspective, Joyce Cordy? Ah, uh, we have convictions now. I think I think that Mueller must have a good idea. Okay, I think the president could do us all a favor and sit down and talk to him um, while we're in this quiet period during the election. Um, but while we're talking about still investigating, uh, the House Intelligence Committee is going to have another set of hearings this week about Hillary Clinton's emails. And, and at this point, um, email is a dated thing. Uh, at this point, I, you know, as a taxpayer, um, I want you to move forward and pass some legislation that does some infrastructure and some other things instead of rehashing that. Um, but I will say to your previous point that Hillary Clinton is quoted as having said when they left the White House they were dead broke that's a quote today they are worth 50 million dollars after paying they claim all their taxes and the foundation now, that's worth in the 200 million dollar range uh, well they closed a big part of the foundation down after her campaign was over because the contributions were drying up. But uh, but but I ask you, $50 million after taxes in 20 years based on speaking fees and book sales, how many books, you know me, I'm a by-the-numbers person, right? How many books do you think they had to sell to have $50 million after tax? Uh, I, I would suspect, even with the most generous uh, generous uh, publisher contract, uh, a lot of books and certainly some pretty hefty fees. I mean, some of these speaking fees that uh, she, the president, would garner uh, ran in the range of you know one hundred and fifty thousand, quarter of a million dollars per speaking engagement. So I think it might be a really good. You know, I I I, I um, appreciate Christopher Ray's discretion in saying we are investigating it. Period. End of sentence. Don't talk about ongoing investigations. But stay tuned, folks, because one of the things that we as citizens need to remember is power is a corrupting influence. And absolute power, as in the presidency, can be absolutely corrupting. And we have seen a fair amount of that. Um you know, the funny part being Carter and, um, well, all the other, the former presidents, 
members of the President's Club, if you took their combined wealth, you couldn't come close to the Clintons. That's two Bushes and Carter and Obama. Add it all together, you're not going to come up with as much money as the Clintons have. And remember, they did used to sell, you know, the proximity of the Lincoln bedroom. The other thing I want to ask you about before our time winds up, um, whether or not the relationship between the president and the publisher of the National Enquirer uh, could be a liability. Now, it's been sort of described as, as another cleanup man, sort of in the, the role of uh, Peter Cohen, in that the Enquirer would catch news about a story. They would go in and buy up the rights to the story, then never print the story, but say neither can anybody else because we own it. Uh, very convenient. I've always thought it curious that Donald Trump or the President of the United States has a relationship with the with the owner of the National Enquirer of all. Not exactly, you know, talk about fake news. Wow. Um, if, if, if the National Enquirer publisher David Pecker has immunity for providing information about Michael Cohen and President related to uh, hush money payments made during the 216 presidential campaign, just how dangerous could that possibly be? Dangerous very dangerous because it isn't isolated to just those two they have been friends for 20 25 years pecker flies to florida on the trump plane regularly they've been um he has been the source of um sanitation of trump scandals um since trump's first marriage so um i think pecker they didn't give pecker immunity just to get Cone on, you know, to get Michael Cone on on a couple of FEC charges. You know, the complete irony behind all of this, as we wrap up our conversation with Joyce Cordy, is that all during the course of the campaign that more of this wasn't forced to the surface. I mean, uh, we think about... Um, what was the former presidential candidate, Gary, um, and the name will come to me. Uh, and, and Edwards, of course, also had difficulties. Um, uh, you know, there's been several cases where during the course of a campaign, things came to the surface that brought uh, the candidate's efforts to a grinding halt early enough that there was never a chance to have an impeachment because there was never a, <laughs> never an inauguration. Um, you wonder how it's gotten this far. Uh, or are these, at the end of the day, uh, a lot of bad hombres, as the president would say, a lot of evil people with an agenda that is more about derailing the president's agenda than uh, derailing the president? Um, you know, there's a lot of opinions on that. And I think we'll certainly, over the course of time, as the old saying goes, a time will tell. Joyce Cordy, again, her program, heard every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m., The Answer. She is the host of Reimagine America, information about her program, her hard work, many of her musings through her blog post, as well as her podcast. You can check it out online at reimagineamerica.org. And God bless her, she stayed with us for the full show where she could have just dashed out of Dodge early on me the way I did to her, certainly unintentionally, last week. That's right. A big round of applause and hats off to Joyce Cordy. Thank you, Joyce, for your time. All right. Let's thank Michael Bennett. A little bit of time from him as we take a look at traffic on this Thursday ride home at 6.01. Michael, what's up? 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.